This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Prophet of the Airwaves. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Wednesday, May the 18th. So I'm uh, I'm confused about the invocation of the Emergencies Act by the uh, Liberal government. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino, Mendacious Marco, I call him, stated repeatedly the government invoked the Emergency Act at the behest of of the police. But then, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky told the House of Commons hearing the RCMP did not ask the government to invoke the Emergency Act. Ah, then it must have been the Ottawa police that that requested the Emergencies Act. Just a bit of confusion, right? So here's Conservative MP Andrew Scheer putting the question to interim Ottawa Police Chief Steve Bell. One final question. Did the Ottawa Police make a request to the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Measures Act, yes or no? 
So we were involved in conversations with our partners and with the political, um, the political ministries. Uh, we didn't make a direct request uh, for the Emergencies Act. Hmm. So the RCMP didn't ask for the Emergencies Act. The Ottawa police didn't ask for the Emergencies Act. So I guess Public Safety Minister, the dishonorable, mendacious Marco Mendicino, was lying again. The police didn't ask for, nor did they need, the feds to invoke the Emergencies Act. They simply did it on a whim. The crime minister and his band of creepy grifters in cabinet lie to us. They spy on us. They defame and slander and dehumanize and criminalize people who disagree with them. They prevent six million of us from traveling freely within our own country, prevent us from leaving the country. Is it any wonder people are fleeing this country? I know several families who have fled Canada for the United States. They got out before the travel mandates were put in place. I'm sure many of you listening know people who have packed up everything and left this country. They quit Canada because this can this country quit them. This is not the country they signed up for. This is not the country they grew up in. It's almost unrecognizable. One of the places many Canadians are fleeing to is Florida. Here's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis making mention of this fact. You've led the country in net in migration. I'm not even asking anybody to come. You know, some governors beg people to come. I love the people we have here. I'm fine. But people are, they're fleeing a lot of these bad, and not just fleeing other states, they're fleeing from Canada. They're fleeing from other places to be able to come to the state of Florida. How many Canadians will exit this country once the travel mandates are lifted, do you suppose? What kind of brain drain are we likely to see? Again, I know many, many families who will leave. I know several families who have left, several more ready to leave as soon as they're able. Unless we can send Groby Blackface and his collaborators in the Socialist Party, led by thin-skinned Jagmeet Singh, Unless we can send them out of office, the future of this country is not a bright one. Uh, next week, dreaded World Economic Forum uh, uh, founder, Klaus Schwab, will be in Davos, Switzerland, along with the elites for their annual gathering to uh, further scheme and plot on how to make our lives even more miserable. And Ezra Levant, who is the founder of Rebel News, has just announced he's sending a team of five journalists over to Davos to cover that coven. And Ezra will be on this program tomorrow to, uh, to talk about it. In the meantime, I want to remind you that Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, the architect of the Great Reset, a genuinely evil man, I want to remind you of his influence around the world. Here he is once again, bragging about how he and his World Economic Forum has infiltrated governments. He takes special pride in having infiltrated the Canadian government. Have a listen. What we are very proud of now is a young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, President of Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece at a reception for Trudeau and I know that 
half of this cabinet or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic forum penetrated the cabinet he has penetrated the cabinet the goals and the objectives of the world economic forum are not aligned with the values of western liberal democracies klaus schwab and his Twisted disciples, which include Gropi and Freeland and half the cabinet and the leader of Canada's Socialist Party, the NDP, are aligned with Klaus Schwab. They are not aligned with Canada. Their loyalties do not lie with Canada. They lie with Klaus Schwab and his vision, the WEF's vision, and by extension, Trudeau's vision for Canada, is a dystopian nightmare. Remember, you will own nothing and you will be happy or else. Every Canadian politician who refuses to renounce the WEF and the Great Reset must be removed from office, full stop. Remember, Schwab and his devotees plan on reinventing capitalism. It's no longer free market capitalism. It's to be stakeholder capitalism, which sounds kind of warm and fuzzy. The idea is that global capitalism should be transformed so that corporations no longer focus solely on serving shareholders, but becoming custodians of society by creating value for customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and other stakeholders. The way the WEF sees stakeholder capitalism being carried out is through a range of what they call multi-stakeholder partnerships, bringing together the private sector, governments, and civil society across all areas of global governance. Global governance. Instead of corporations serving many stakeholders in the many stakeholder model of global governance, corporations are promoted to being official stakeholders in global decision making. Again, corporations will be promoted to government or to being official stakeholders in global decision making. Governments then will be replaced, simply being one of many stakeholders. In practice, corporations become the main stakeholders. Governments take a backseat role. That should scare the hell out of you. This is a recipe for corporate fascism. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's the future. Unless we all get very loud and make it known, we will not tolerate our political leaders betraying us in this way. It's treasonous, pure and simple, treason. There, I said it. Okay, Uh, this program is setting rating records for this radio station, thanks to you, so keep listening. And we've got another stellar two hours of radio coming your way. The last order of business in hour two, it turns out an audit of President Grampy Joe Biden's Twitter account reveals half of his followers are bots, half of them. But he got 81 million votes. Yeah, sure he did. Uh, Drew Allen from the Drew Allen Show will be here to discuss. Roman Baber, Ontario MPP, seeking the leadership of the Federal Conservative Party, will be here, second hour. He says if he becomes uh, prime minister, one of his first orders of business will be to fire Dr. Theresa Tam. I like the sound of that. What else will Roman do? He'll tell us. This is rather historic. The deputy director of the Naval Intelligence Uh, office in the United States spoke before a congressional hearing. I believe it was yesterday or or a few days ago about UAPs. We used to call them UFOs, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. 
Dave Scott, host of Spaced Out Radio, heard weeknights at 10 on Saga 960, will be here. Samuel Say, True North contributor, will be here to talk about how the pro-life movement in Canada has failed. Tony Heller pushes back against the cult of climate change this hour. And the Toronto Sun's Joe Warmington will be here to talk about the spike in carjackings in our once fair city. And he'll also discuss his recent conversation with Don Cherry, former star of Hockey Night in Canada's Coach's Corner. But first, social influencer, conservative uh, commentator, and the host of the Informed Dissent podcast, Leonidas Johnson, with a few thoughts on the Tops Friendly Supermarket Massacre in Buffalo. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Tuesday, sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday, May the 18th. Fact and nonverba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. It goes without saying the uh, massacre at the Tops Friendly Market. <laughs> How ironic. The, uh, the shooting that left 10 people dead and three others injured in Buffalo a few days ago. Absolutely horrific. A nightmare scenario. Uh, but it's also unfortunate that it is being politicized. I guess predictably by those on the left, and we'll get into that uh, in the next few minutes. Leonidas Johnson Conservative commentator, social media influencer, writer, and host of the Informed Dissent podcast joins us once again. Hello, Leonidas. How are you? I am doing well, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, I think it was right for President Biden and, and the First Lady to go to Buffalo to to grieve and to give comfort to the victims and the families of the victims in Buffalo. But the question that arises is why then did he not go to Waukesha, Wisconsin, and and grieve with the victims of the five people that were run down by a black nationalist? Why did he not go to Brooklyn in April to give comfort to the 23 people that were injured when a black nationalist went on a shooting spree in a subway? Uh, any Any thoughts on that? Well, it's clearly political. You already hit the nail on the head there, Richard, that uh, they find it to be politically expedient. And so they're going to exploit it here. And that's unfortunate because when something like this happens, um, clearly everybody and most people denounce white supremacy. No, most people are, are against what happened in Buffalo. And when something like this happens, the default position should be one of unity and it should be one that rejects that divisiveness of racial identity, identity obsession, um, because that's what led to the shooting. That's what led to the subway shooting. That's what led to the guy running over uh, people with his car in Waukesha. Um, when those things happen, that should be the default position. The things that we're seeing the Democrats do now are things that should have happened during those other incidents. But because it didn't fit the, the particular racial narrative or the particular Democrat narrative or progressive narrative, then those things get swept under the rug. And it's just, it, it, this, this is what happens. We spend so much time focusing on race. We spend so much time um, focusing on white supremacy that all of this other stuff gets 
completely ignored. And it's not just white supremacy, Richard. It's it's racial identity obsession itself. And that does not have a color. That does not have a race. Could be black people, could be Asian people, could be anybody. Anybody that gets obsessed with race and pushes this stuff, then that leads to dark places. Then it drives enmity. So, yeah, I, I think it's the right thing to do. But you asked the right question. Like, why didn't he do that before? And of course, it's political. Of course, it is. I saw a, a comment in Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, I saw it online. Basically, make it, trying to make the case that Peyton Gendron and his ilk are mainstream Republicans. I, I just found that to be absolutely abhorrent and sickening. And again, it speaks to, uh, and I'm sorry to say it, I mean, I don't want to politicize it, but that's what the left is doing. They are, they are taking these horrible, uh, tragic situations. They are using the blood of these victims uh, to peddle their, their race baiting. Right. So when it when something like that happens, the first thing they look at is, okay, what was the race of the shooter? What was the race of the perpetrator? And their fingers are crossed because they're hoping it was a white male because then they can tie it to Republicans and then they can use it to further their political agenda. And it's the complete opposite thing that should happen. If you read this guy's manifesto, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't even a Republican like he hated Fox news uh he he called himself a a anarchist leftist whatever that means and but it ultimately it doesn't matter even if he was a trump supporting republican uh who loved hannity and tucker carlson it doesn't matter that should not be taken as indicative of of conservatives in the republican party uh just like the shooter at the congressional baseball game uh, said that he was a big Bernie supporter. We we shouldn't take that to mean that um, that Bernie Sanders is is a is indicative of this violent wing of the Progressive Party or the Democrat Party and progressivism. I, I, it's just it, it is common sense. But we've become so so polarized in this political environment that. You know, it it becomes a very tribal thing. So anytime something happens, we're looking for ways to figure out how to make this beneficial for my tribe and how to use it as a weapon against the other tribe. And like I said, that's not what should happen in these scenarios. What should happen is we should recognize the toxicity of racial identity obsession and we should come together and say, look, like this stuff is getting people killed. Um, it's causing all kinds of division in our society. It's very, very toxic. We need to step away from it. But the complete opposite is happening because it's politically expedient to do so. Right. And it's also politically expedient to talk about things like gun control rather than uh, let's put the brakes on all of this racial identity and the politics and critical race theory because it leads to one place and that's to the Tops Friendly Market in Buffalo or the the, uh, the Christmas Parade in Waukesha or the subway in Brooklyn. That's where CRT and racial identity and racial politics lead. Uh, Leonidas, how do we listen to the Informed Dissent podcast? Any, any podcast platform you listen to, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, Informed Dissent will be on there. And uh, the website, LeonidasJohnson.com, LeonidasJohnson.com. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for having me, Richard. My pleasure. All right. When we come back, what's up with all the carjackings in Toronto? Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun is next. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. What's happening in our city? Well, not just Toronto, the greater Toronto area, even York Region, where I am, up in Thornhill. A real spike in uh, carjackings. Did I hear you correctly on the news yesterday, uh, Brandon, saying, or was it during when we were talking about um, Mitch Marner having his uh, luxury SUV taken from him at uh, gunpoint? Uh, well, they were armed. I guess they didn't point a gun at Mitch, but uh, there were three armed assailants, two guns and a knife, I think. Did you say that the uh, the um, carjackings have, uh, we've had 60 so far this year, uh, which is more than all of last year? Is that correct? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, Brandon's busy producing the show, so I won't bother him. But uh, uh, what is happening in our city? Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun columnist, good friend of the program. Hey, Joe, how are you? Doing okay. I mean, it's obviously you're right with the 60 already this year. They had 60 all of last year. So it's a, it's a real, its own epidemic, if you will. And it's a big problem. Right. Doubled uh, carjackings in the GTA. Uh, Just reading here in your fine newspaper, the Toronto Sun have doubled since 2019. Uh, And and I mentioned Mitch Marner, of course, uh, having his uh, luxury SUV taken from him. Um, I I don't know. I don't think they pointed their guns at him, but they had guns. Uh, Two guns and a knife. Two guns and a knife. Uh, There was a 70 year old um, uh, gentleman. Also, um, the victim of a carjacking. Uh, what's why? Why is this um, particular what's crime? What's happening is, yeah. Well, what's happening is the there's always a sophisticated kind of uh, uh, high end car market. That's not new. We've had busts on those before. But what is new is that the drug gang running crowd that, you know, caused a lot of the shootings and these kinds of things. They're getting involved in this now. And while the other groups use sophisticated means, Richard, you know, with computers and they'll do stealth operations, take a car out. They don't want to get into any kind of a, they don't want to be seen. These um, gangster crowd, they deliver the car uh, to get the same profit to whoever the fence is. But they just go and take it. None of this computer stuff. They just go with a gun, 
They do it in that brazen and violent way. They have a plan to do it. But it's a real problem because the organized crime behind this is now going to have a big problem because they, Mitch Marner's they've been killed in this. But even the fact that he was held up has changed the whole game. Now it's a priority for the police. The politicians are asking for it to be a priority. Policing is always priority, as you know. I mean, there's right. a million things going on. They can't do it all. So how does this how does this this crime ring? I'm, I'm going to assume it's pretty, you know, pretty well organized. They have to have buyers. It's international. Uh, because yeah. It, it, like, like how it works is I would sort of cut you off, but it basically they steal the car and then they deliver it somewhere. They hide it or they have a place to bring it to get it onto a truck or onto one of those shipping containers. Sometimes two and three and 4,000 containers on these ships that can't look at every one. Sure, they find some, just like with drugs and guns, they do find them here or there. But most slip through, and they go to somebody that's fencing those you know, big vehicles in other parts of the world, Asia, Africa, U.S., Europe. doesn't matter. And, of course, we're hunting ground for that. I mean, and the thing is that I kept hearing the police, I'm not knocking the police, they do a good job, but, you know, just sit there and let them take it. I guess that's what you're supposed to do. But they're saying, you know, you can always replace the car, but that's not true. You can't replace, like in Mitch Marner, he has the Range Rover. Get that same model, it'll take a year to get it because of the pandemic and all the other right. issues. And, and again, it, you know, uh, a guy like that, I mean, Anybody who has a car, like I know, like Mark Grimes had a Range Rover. Now, in his case, he doesn't make $10 million a year like a hockey player does. It doesn't matter how much you make, but some people, that's their main main investment, over a hundred grand for one of those things. Family car, it's safe. It's not safe. And, you you know, your insurance goes up in all of our insurance. Yours is going to go up because of this martyr thing. That's an excellent point. And, so and, and Joe, it's just a... It's just a matter of time, too, before, I don't know, someone has a, a, a baby in a, in a back seat uh, and the, the carjackers, they don't care. They're not going to give you time to go into the vehicle and, you know, unstrap your child and take them out. They're going to drive off or someone's going to get killed. Um, so this is a, someone, obvious- you know, we've had someone killed already. I mean, I, I get your point, but I wrote about Johnny Gale. He worked at TSN. He's in our industry. Uh, I, don't, I didn't know him, but I've seen him at things. You know, he was just a great kid. Everyone loved him. I talked to his mom. Everyone loved this guy. And uh, he went to church, and he went to see his pastor. And then on the way out, we don't know what happened, but two guys ended up in his car, and there was a fight. He, I think they were trying to carjack it. That's what the police believe. And he's dead. And there's other cases, too. These, you know, I mean, it's not like we haven't talked about crime before. I mean, 30 years I've been writing about this nonsense. Yes. But this is the, the newest thing, because a Range Rover, you're, you're like a sitting duck in it. Okay, Joe, I got to take a time out. Sorry, Joe, got to interrupt. We'll uh, we'll pick up on this on the other side. I also want to get around to talking about uh, Don Cherry. I know you sat down with uh, Don recently. We'll talk about that as well. Joe Warmington, good friend of the program, Toronto Sun columnist, back with more in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Toronto Sun columnist Joe Warmington stays with us. I want to switch gears. We were talking about carjacking earlier, but I want to talk about you sat down with uh, Don Cherry recently, and it was good to see him uh, at 87 years young, still 
seeming, seemingly in good health and in fine fettle. But um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. First of all, um, I was very intrigued by your question to Don Cherry about, you know, in light of the Leafs' sixth consecutive early exit from the playoffs and what he thinks should be done with the club in the offseason. What did he have to say? Yeah, I was a little surprised in a way, although he always supports the coaches. But he said, basically, you don't do very much at all. It might bring in one player. He said that, you know, it could have gone either way, this thing. And, uh, you know, too good a team, too much firepower. And give them one more chance, just one more chance. I That seems to be what a lot of people think. I mean, I'm not so sure myself. Uh, you know, it's like I've, we all have our opinions. But I think it's time for... Uh, some changes, maybe a coaching change, something like that. Just think, yeah, I think they've gone to the well with these guys uh, long enough and something's not working. But Don is loyal, you know, and uh, he likes those coaches and he's been fired himself a few times. So I think that's mm-hmm. part of it. Well, he said something that, that was also very interesting that he said it befuddled him that the Leaf Brass, um, they, 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 they don't draft enough young players that come out of the, out of Toronto. We have 40,000 players um, playing minor hockey in the GTHL and yet they keep drafting Americans and Europeans. What was his, what was his reasoning? Well, I think there was, I mean, he's always had that mantra. I mean, that's his thing. And he believes in that shop local Canadian, but I think it smarts for him and for Leaf fans to see a guy like Nick Paul, who's right from Mississauga here to go down and score the two goals and beat the Leafs. You've never even heard of Nick Paul, have you? No, no. Um, but, you know, anybody who follows hockey, I saw him play when I took my interpreter, Ahmed Siddiqui, and his family to the uh, hockey game in Ottawa just a couple months ago. Nick Paul was on Ottawa. And I saw this big six-foot-four, you know, 220 power forward, and I thought, wow, this guy's good. And everybody in the around me was telling me about him because they were watching him. And they said, you know, he's a... Uh, Someone's going to grab him for the playoff run, and I thought right away, "Well, I hope it's the Leafs." I didn't know that he'd be the guy to put us in the golf season. But uh, what a player! And um, you know, his strength—it wasn't the skill that won that; it was strength. The Leafs had no answer for uh, <clears throat> for that, and uh, you know, the fact that he's he played for uh, the North Bay Battalion of the OHL, and he was from Mississauga. And Don feels like why didn't they scout him? You know, um, yeah, I think he makes like, you know, two two million a year or something instead of nine or ten. And so that's his point. And, and it's well taken. I mean, look, at I don't think he has anything disparaging to say about any of the players on the Leafs. I mean, you know, Matthews scored 60 goals and then four in the playoffs. But he didn't score any of the last three or four games when he needed one. Right. And uh, Paul, and Paul did. Right. I guess. And the idea that if you grew up in the Toronto area dreaming of playing for the Leafs, um, versus, let's say, someone from, I don't know, a European country. It could be a great hockey player. It may not mean as much to them to win a Stanley Cup wearing the Leaf uniform. And if, you know, if you're, if you're bleeding the blue and white, you're going to do whatever it takes, even, you know, to the point of personal harm in order to get that game-winning goal. I guess that was kind of his point as well, that it, it maybe it, it Well, you know, you've got to be careful with this stuff because this is what got him fired, and I don't want to get us fired. Uh, you know, the best players get chosen on the team and, you know, they determine who they think the best players are. The the management decides that. Don would like them to pick people from Ontario and from Canada more. So that's his, his point of view. Right. Well, speaking you know, of which. I don't care where you're from as long as you help us win the Stanley Cup. That's what we're Agreed. 
Agreed. See that. Yeah. Um, but but get, get, to the point of him, him getting fired, I, I, I know in The Sun they ran a piece about um, uh, Don Cherry's thoughts these days on his former friend and former colleague at Hockey Night in Canada, yeah. uh, Ron McLean. Did you want to speak to that? Yeah, you know, like uh, Don is hurt by that. Don's such a good guy, as you know. He's a great man, great Canadian icon, one of the greatest Canadians ever. And he's just been kicked around, left behind, and spit on, and, and you know, basically backstabbed by all the people that, that uh, you know, rode his coattails to fame, including Ron McLean. And many of these, uh, you know, faceless, nameless uh, broadcast executives, too, who, you know, they did it okay with uh, Don Cherry there for almost 40 years and lots of money were made for, was made for a lot of people. I mean, you know, says so one thing a little awkward and that's all it was. Cause I did the story about the poppies. Um, you know, he didn't mean it like it sounded and they know that they know that he's pro Canadian and patriotic and there's nothing wrong with that in this climate today. It seems to be a problem, but it, it's not, you know, everyone knows Don, they knew that's the way he was and they didn't talk to him about it. And so, you know, Ron McLean, um, you know, I th- I felt that maybe we were at a point where they could bury the hatchet and, uh, you know, maybe get back together again and, and find some way to at least be friends or maybe even take it a step further, Richard, and get him back on the air somehow, even if it's just one once or once in a while or something. But he said what got broken there doesn't go back together again. Mm. And, uh, you know, I guess that's a, they, they were very close friends. I mean, they were on the road together on the, in the playoffs for 30 years. And they always, uh, they get a six pack after every game and, you know, watch the late game after they were done their broadcast, the hotel and order a pizza. And, you know, that that's a real friendship, you know, right. Right. And to have a guy like that, not stick up for you when he was in the middle of the whole thing and he was on the air with them. Yeah. He just took care of himself. That must hurt. That that's a me. betrayal. That's he a betrayal. That. Yeah. That's the worst kind of betrayal. Uh, Rex, just, uh, you know, just to mention your competition very briefly, you have no competition, but uh, Rex Murphy wrote a great piece in the National Post about um, how yeah. cruel it is that um, Don Cherry has been excluded from receiving an Order of Canada. I just, I'm, we don't have much, any time. I just wanted to, to point that out, leave it right there. But uh, uh, Joe, uh, always true. appreciate you. All the best to you. Take care now. Thanks. Okay. Jo- Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun columnist. All right. We push back against the cult of climate change on the other side. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. If you're new to the program, Wednesdays, we push back against the cult of climate change. Yesterday, I played a clip from, I think it was yesterday, one of the the, uh, the chief cultists, John Kerry, the climate change czar, uh, talking about how we need to double and triple and quadruple our efforts to... Uh, to get to net zero, um, a race to the bottom, really. Take the giant suicide pill. Uh, Tony Heller is with us. He is the founder of RealClimateScience.com. Welcome back, Tony. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Very well. I'm just reading here. I'm on a website. Uh, it's the Competitive Enterprise Institute. I'm guessing it's some kind of a think tank. I don't know about them. Uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute. And they're actually on their website. They're giving, they're crediting you, Tony, 
uh, for collecting many of these news clips uh, that, uh, that you posted on Real Climate Science and realclimatescience.com. And the, uh, the article is called Wrong Again, 50 Years of Failed Eco-Apocalyptic Predictions. Uh, so obviously you're familiar with many of uh, these failed predictions over the last 50 years. Uh, all of these yeah. doom and gloom scenarios offered up by, um, you know, um, well, not just climate change, but uh, let, let's kind of go through some of the some of the uh, the, the uh, predictions on the list. And, and uh, again, you've posted many of these at realclimatescience.com. Failed predictions of ecological disaster. Yeah, well, it's been, this has been going on forever. You know, there's always been people running around with, carrying around placards saying the end is near, and they believe that they have some sort of vision of the future and that we're all going to die soon from one disaster. I mean, it's been going on for thousands of years. <laughs> so it's nothing new, but, you know, in the night, around the time Earth Day was created, 50 years ago, the big concern was that we're all going to die from global cooling. You know, the world was getting colder. We weren't going to be able to grow food. Um, and everybody was going to starve to death. And Paul Ehrlich from Stanford University made a big name for himself, making all these predictions that we were all going to die of starvation by 1980. You know, this went on for a long time, and, and they were combining it with their predictions of global cooling. And then um, that didn't happen. We didn't die. So they switched to acid rain in the ozone hole, and uh, nuclear power plants are going to melt down, and the, and the core of the the reactor was going to melt all the way through the Earth to China was the theory. And it's it just been one thing after another. You know, these people have an obsessive need to believe they're living in some sort of terribly difficult apocalyptic times. So when the last one fails, they just move on to something else. And around, you know, 1988, after the failure of all their other predictions, they just switched over to global warming, and that one sort of stuck with them. Um, It took them a long time, but then when the global warming wasn't really happening, they changed it to just climate change. So so now they can just blame any sort of bad weather on on what they simply this sort of ethereal concept of climate change. So I spent a lot of time on my blog documenting past bad weather and to show that the same bad weather now, which they're blaming on climate change, we've always had. It's nothing new. Right. Again, the uh, Comparative Enterprise Institute, or CEI.org, and the article is wrong again. 50 years of failed ecopocalyptic predictions, and again, need you know, needless to say, none of these predictions over the last 50 years have come true. Um, you were mentioning the uh, the famine, the dire famine forecast. Um, they were predicting this. And here's an article. It was a Los Angeles Times uh, article reprinted in the Salt Lake Tribune back in November of 1967. Uh, and the uh, writer writes, it is already too late for the world to avoid a long period of famine. A Stanford University biologist said Thursday, uh, Paul Ehrlich said the time of famine is upon us and will be at its worst and most disastrous by 1975. Did we have anything even close to approximating a uh, a dire famine back in 75? 
Well, there was there was very some very bad famines in Africa, which were associated with the cooling trend, uh, which was occurring at the time. So, part, parts of Africa were suffering very bad famines, and obviously China and India were having very bad famines around that time as well. Um, partly due to partly due to the cool the cold cold weather, but also due to politics in China and Mao's. Um, policies killed a lot of people. But since then, we were not suffering from famine. Most people are suffering. Obesity is becoming a big problem. We've had too much food. So they got that exactly backwards. Right. And um, your your nemesis, let's call him Paul Ehrlich, added added again in 1969, um, worrying about... um, the Foe of Pollution in the New York Times, published again August 1969, uh, he writes, We must realize that unless we are extremely lucky, everybody will disappear in a cloud of blue steam in 20 years, according to the 37-year-old scientist. Again, talking about um, the, the problem of pollution on the planet the heat that was so dire, apparently, in 1969. Uh, he predicted in 20 years we would all disappear in a cloud of blue steam. So uh, who is this Paul Ehrlich, and why does he get it so wrong so often? Well, he's a, he's an academic who's made a big name for himself and made lots of money for himself by appealing to a crowd who basically hates humanity and wants to believe that humanity is causing disasters, right? It's the same group of people who, you know, are pushing the climate change idea. And in fact, Paul Ehrlich is doing that now. They have some, they have some sort of psychological need to believe that humans are evil, that humans are destroying the planet, and that humans need to be eliminated. It's, it's sort of the end, where um, most humans need to be eliminated. It's sort of the end game for their beliefs. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right. We uh, sadly, Tony, we're out of time. We won't have time to get to this topic. We'll save it for next week. And uh, it's someone named George Monbiot says it's time to abolish farming in order to save the planet. Imagine that we have to abolish growing food on farms in order to save the planet. We'll uh, talk about that next week. Thank you so much, Tony. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. All right, plenty of show still to come. Hour two, Samuel Say, True North contributor, will be here to talk about the pro-life movement in Canada and how it failed or has failed. 
Uh, we'll also speak with Dave Scott, host of Spaced Out Radio here on Saga 960 weeknights at 10. We'll talk about, this is kind of a, a historic moment, a deputy director of Naval Intelligence addressing a congressional hearing about UFOs. And a conservative leadership candidate, Roman Baber, will be here. Uh, to tell us what he would do as the leader of the Conservative Party and, um, I guess by extension, Prime Minister, Drew Allen, the author, uh, or an author and columnist and host of The Drew Allen Show, will be here to talk about an audit that has found half of President Joe Biden's Twitter followers are bots. They're fake. How many of his 81 million voters were bots? All right, stay with us. More to come. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome to Hour 2, and if you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but there's still plenty of programming to come your way. The Richard Serrett Show, recipient of 14 Edward R. Murrow Awards. I, I just made that up. You know, uh, people in radio, they give themselves awards all the time. Maybe I should just, I should give myself an Edward R. Murrow Award. I think I will. I just did. I gave myself 14 Edward R. Murrow Awards. Who's going to stop me? Jacob and Brandon saying, who is Edward R. Murrow? No, they know. They're bright. They're bright young men, and I'm lucky to have them. Uh, coming up this hour, Drew Allen, good friend of the program, one of the few conservatives in California, will be here. He's an author, he's a columnist, and the host of The Drew Allen Show. And uh, I was reading this piece in the New York Post, and somebody did an audit, and they found that half of Grampy Joe Biden's Twitter followers are fake. They're bots. Half of them. So we'll talk to Drew about that. How many of his 81 million voters were fake, one has to ask. Uh, Roman Baber, Ontario MPP, York Center, I, I believe, um, formerly of the Progressive Conservative Party, and then he was uh, kicked out of caucus, sitting as a, a, an independent, and uh, has been quite vocal about vaccine mandates and lockdowns, and um, even went to court to fight. And then he tossed his uh, hat into the uh, ring for the conservative leadership. 
And I think he's acquitted himself quite nicely in the uh, the debates thus far. Well, the second debate was a complete debacle, the one that was hosted by uh, or moderated by Tom Clark. Why the uh, the the, uh, the conservative party would allow for that kind of a silly um, format is beyond me. However, uh, there'll be another one May 30th. I think that one is going to be moderated by Andrew Lawton from True North. I'm actually taking the boys to go see that. I think it's important. Anyway, Roman will be here. I was reading with interest uh, that he um, he says if he were to be elected prime minister, of course, first he has to win the leadership, and then if he were to become prime minister, he would fire Dr. Teresa Tam. Well, that pricked up my ears, I got to tell you. We'll find out what else would uh, Roman Baber do. And uh, Dave Scott one of my colleagues here at Saga 960, he's host of Spaced Out Radio, which can be heard weeknights at 10 p.m. on The Mighty Saga. We'll be here. This is, again, it's quite historic. We have the uh, the Deputy Director of Navy Intelligence in the United States speaking before a congressional hearing and talking about what they now call UAPs, unidentified, unidentified aerial phenomena. We call them, I call them UFOs. So we'll talk to uh, Dave Scott about that. All right. So we had the um, the leak of an opinion draft coming out of the U.S. Supreme Court regarding Roe versus Wade. It appears the Supreme Court um, is ready to overturn Roe versus Wade. And of course, that has the left and um, pro-choice. I call the pro-abortion. That has them up in arms. They are ready to take it to the streets. They are protesting in front of Supreme Court justices' homes, which is illegal. But of course, it's had ramifications up here in Canada. It's put abortion back in the spotlight here. But in Canada, it's the Wild West. There are no laws regarding abortion. And uh, Samuel Say, who's been on the program a number of times, a blogger, creator, founder of slowtowrite.com. You really need to check out his uh, his fine work at slowtowrite.com. And he has recently signed on with True North as a contributor and here to talk about how the pro-life movement in Canada has failed. Samuel, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So what do you mean by the pro-life movement has failed in Canada? Well, it's actually funny you mentioned that because that is by no means what I believe. Um, it is, um, I suppose, um, the view of my um, of uh, Candace Malcolm, ah. uh, the, the the head of the North. Okay. Um, that's so right. You were, in a, you were sort of in a discussion. That's her headline, not yours. My apologies. Thank you for the clarification. No. Yeah, no problem. I only mentioned that because being a member of the pro-life movement in Canada, by no means do I think we failed. Um, although some might say I'm being biased, but I think I'm being um, honest. So what, what I said to her is, um, you know, understand why some people would believe that. We see what's happening in the U.S. Even before this leak with uh, Roe v. Wade, even with Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Ohio, and different states across the U.S., um, you know, pushing these uh, strong pro-life laws. And then some pro-life people in Canada say, well, wait a minute, what is happening with us? Why isn't the pro-life movement here being as uh, doing as well as our, our American counterparts? And, you know, the the international pro-life community, including 
our American counterparts will tell you that we are not failing. We just have a very different political climate here in Canada. Um, in Canada, we don't have a lot of strong support from our politicians. The pro-life movement in the U.S. has been extraordinary in what they've been able to achieve. However, they would not be able to achieve um, as much as they have if not for the Republicans um, being so supportive over their movement. Um, even Donald Trump, who uh, before he became uh, the president uh, you know, after the 2016 election, not many people knew exactly how strong he would be in the pro-life movement, uh, I mean, strong in the pro-life position. But he's been very, uh, he was very pro-life. And he even attended the uh, the March for Life, um, I believe in 2019 or, or maybe 2020, uh, before the election. So they have support from their politicians when we don't have that here. We don't have a lot of MPPs or MPs or, or uh, um, premiers and especially prime ministers who would be willing to boldly say where they stand on the abortion issue because they're afraid of pushback from the Liberal Party or the NDP and the media. Right. Right. True enough. Yes, there, there's certainly a lot of, you know, there's campaign, the Campaign Life Coalition. There are a number of pro-life organizations that are, you know, working uh, to influence. But that seems to be as far as it goes. Uh, and yet uh, yeah. we have in Canada, uh, it's not a, you know, people like to say it's a constitutional right. It's not. The Supreme Court basically said, a, you know, this set of abortion laws are unconstitutional. They threw it back to Parliament. And now it's up to Parliament to come up with some new ones. So we just have an absence of law that doesn't make it a right. Um, but how, in your mind, Samuel, um, can can pro-life groups like Campaign Life or other um, pro-life organizations, how can they get some traction? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, clearly we have a majority of Canadians that want some restriction on abortion, sex selection abortion, of course. The, the, the vast majority of Canadians yeah. are opposed to that, and yet the politicians are even too afraid to address that. Yeah, that's a great question, and um, I'm so glad you mentioned that because – the group that I was with for so long, uh, which is the uh, CCBR, which is short for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. We are one of the very few, um, what, what we would call educational pro-life, uh, uh, educational pro-life groups out there. What we do is, you know, we, the, the pro-life movement community is in, in Canada, but there are not many who are strictly focused on tr- educating Canadians on what abortion really is. So a lot of Canadians um, don't know that there are no laws at all on abortion, as you mentioned, in our country. And we are one of only two nations, two nations uh, next to North Korea with zero uh, laws on abortion. So there are no restrictions at all. So theoretically, in Canada, it is legal to get an abortion shortly before the baby is born. Right. So we need to educate Canadians on that. And, And honestly, we are growing that we're doing better with that. We've been. We, we see numbers that more Canadians are becoming more aware of it. The problem is we are a relatively young movement. So we're not failing, but we're just young in that in America, they've been, because of Roe v. Wade being so prominent in American culture, they've had a very long historic pro-life movement. We are a relatively young pro-life movement. So uh, we're trying. We're trying to go to, um, I mean, I, I again, being uh, at one point being a member of our organization, I would go to schools and churches and major streets showing people how how uh, wrong abortion really is, how much of an injustice it is, that abortion does kill uh, babies. It does kill people. It kills humans. So we're trying to get traction. The problem is, is that 
unfortunately, um, again, in our, in, our, in our climate, even though the Conservative Party knows that most Canadians would support um, sex of abortion or that they would support even any restriction at all on abortion, right? Even if it's banning late-term abortions, which almost every nation in the world, except for North Korea, has. Even then, they're so afraid because of their cowardice nature. They're so afraid of what CBC, Legacy Media, and the Liberal Party and NDP might say about them. Right. Well, we do. We have to change the culture, and then hopefully uh, that will, uh, will will give the politicians some some courage. Uh, we've got a long road ahead of us, Samuel, but um, it's it's worth it. We got to we got to fight the good fight. Samuel say. True North contributor and uh, blogger, creator, founder of slowtowrite.com. Samuel, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. All right. When we come back, Dave Scott from Spaced Out Radio, uh, director or deputy director of Navy Intelligence, addressing Congress on UFOs. That's pretty historic, I'd say. We'll talk about that next. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Since the early 2000s, we have seen an increasing number of unauthorized and or unidentified aircraft or objects in military-controlled training areas uh, and training ranges and other designated airspace. Reports of sightings are frequent and continuing. We attribute this increase in reporting to a number of factors, including our work to destigmatize reporting, an increase in the number of new systems such as quadcopters and unmanned aerial systems that are in our airspace, uh, identification of what we can classify as clutter, mylar balloons, and other types of, uh, of air trash, and improvements in the capabilities of our various sensors to detect things in our airspace. As we detailed in both the unclassified and classified versions of the preliminary assessment released by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence last June, this often limited amount of high-quality data Uh, and reporting hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. As detailed in the ODNI report, if and when individual UAP incidents are resolved, they likely fall into one of five potential explanatory categories. Airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, U.S. government or U.S. industry developmental programs, foreign adversary systems, or a other bin that allows for a holding bin of difficult cases and for the possibility of surprise and potential scientific discovery. We stand by those initial results. That is Scott Bray, and he is the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, and he was addressing a a congressional hearing in the United States. I'd say that's pretty historic. Dave Scott is host of Spaced Out Radio, heard on Saga 960 weeknights, 10 p.m. Hey, Dave, welcome back. How are you? Richard, I apologize for being a second too late for you, but I'm glad to be having this awesome conversation with you. Oh, pleasure to have you. So I was just playing that a clip from uh, Scott Bray, the deputy director of U.S. Naval Intelligence, and I described this uh, yeah. this hearing as as historic. Would you agree that f- to have someone uh, this high up in the chain speaking about UFOs before Congress is pretty historic? I think it's incredibly historic. I mean, we haven't seen it in over 50 years. It's something that the UFO community uh, has been uh, whining and wailing about for decades to try and get some seriousness taken both in Washington, D.C., as well as in the mainstream media. We won that. This is the first of many meetings to come and hopefully more public forums. So I think we're right on the right track. 
And um, I, I don't know uh, how much of his testimony or, or his, his, uh, his uh, speech before the uh, Congress you heard, uh, but what were the takeaways for you? Richard, uh, to me, there was a lot of positives, okay? There's a lot of positives that they are wanting to work with the government in bringing forward this. There was a lot of negatives as well, okay? Let's start with the positives. The positives are they admitted that this phenomena is going on. They admitted that they have no idea how these incursions are happening. They admitted that they have very highly trained fighter pilots and airline pilots who are having these incursions that are are describing much the same thing, that they are taking it seriously. They are collecting reports as we speak. We learned that there is not 144 reports that came out with the DIA report last June, but there is indeed over 400 reports that are are currently being looked at and that they are really trying to piece together a a team under the uh, UAPTF or the AIMSOG, as they were calling it, I can't stand these acronyms, but the fact is they're putting it all together to make it happen. Now, the downside of the talks was that both Bray and the other gentlemen really seemed to downplay what they knew about the entire phenomena. For instance, it was highly reported a few months ago, as you know, about the uh, nuclear missile silos being turned on and off during the 1960s at Malmstrom Air Force Base in, I believe, North Dakota. And they uh, uh, admitted that they had no knowledge of this happening. They also admitted that they had no knowledge of any projects after Project Blue Book came out in the 1950s up until now that anybody had been looking into this. Well, we know projects like Project Grudge happened. They also stated that nobody's really uh, put any money into this. That was wrong, considering that Robert Bigelow, the private investor, uh, took $22 million on the, na- on, uh, the uh, advice of Harry Reid, the former Nevada senator, to look into the strangest programs where that money was even used to buy into uh, the mutual UFO network, MUFON. So there were some inconsistencies there. And they had no intention of wanting to talk about uh, submersible UFOs that have been seen underwater. They they held that back until they went private. So there was a lot of positives, and, and I'm and I'm very proud of the positives. But there was also more questions and answers. And if you look at Congressman Tim Burchett, who was not on the committee uh, yesterday, uh, he has been going off on Twitter about his high disappointment in the way that the congressional hearings were held and the questions that were asked by his his colleagues. Dave, wish we had more time. We'll have to have you back on and we'll keep watching this. It seems to be ramping up. It's going someplace. Dave Scott, host of Spaced Out Radio, heard weeknights at 10 p.m. here on Saga 960. Dave, thanks as always. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. 
The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Always a pleasure, Richard. Take care. You too. All right. When we come back, conservative leadership candidate Roman Babber joins us. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. And we are awaiting the arrival of conservative leadership candidate Roman Baber, who is uh, to join us on the air for a couple of segments. The um, MPP for York Center from 2018 to 2022. I guess we can't call him an MPP now because we're in the midst of a provincial election. He's not seeking, obviously, re-election. He's busy running for the leadership of the Conservative Party. And uh, I think he's acquitted himself quite nicely in the uh, the leadership debates thus far, although the second leadership debate, debate moderated by Tom Clark, the format was just a complete fiasco. Um, however... There'll be more debates. Another one coming up on May the 30th, which is moderated by Andrew Lawton from True North. And I'll be there actually in attendance, taking my two boys. I think it's important that they see the political process and uh, the debates. And I understand now we are joined by Roman Babber. Roman, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Good to be with you, Richard. Likewise. Uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to start off with a question. I'm asking all of the candidates this, uh, this question. I asked Leslie Lewis when she was on um, a couple of weeks ago. And that is uh, just, it's not a gotcha question. Uh, I'm going to ask you, what is your definition of a woman? Look, um, I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that I can give you an answer offhand. Um, I, I guess that there is a physiological, a biological definition but uh, I'm certainly um, respectful of the fact that people make different choices and, and lead different lifestyles. And I don't think that government has any business in that either. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I want to move along now and ask you where you would, for people not familiar with, with uh, who you are and where you stand on the issues, how would you differentiate yourself, let's say, from uh, a Jean Charest, a Pierre Polyev, or a Leslin Lewis? Well, um, your listeners may know that a, about a year and a half ago, I was removed from the Doug Ford caucus uh, for opposing the lockdowns. I believe that we needed to bring some public health, some, some balance to our public health response. And even though um, COVID is a serious infection, we should um, entertain some balance and appreciate that there is a harm to lockdowns as well. Uh, since then, I've been advocating um, for a measured response against passports and mandates, and um, I guess led the sensible charge uh, against some of the uh, onerous we, restrictions. Sorry, go ahead. Um, another differentiating factor is um, I'm, I'm not a career politician. I practiced law for about 12 years before I was elected, 
And uh, I've built a brand for um, saying what I believe and doing what I believe is right, even when it's unpopular. All right. Um, I want to ask you, because speaking of COVID and, and what, one of the things that you announced recently was if you were uh, were to become conservative leader and then ultimately elected prime minister, you would fire Dr. Teresa Tam. Give me your, your thoughts on that. I would. Go ahead. Well, look, uh, we know that the public health response resulted in a catastrophe for many Canadians. In Ontario alone, we had more than a million cancer screenings missed. We had more than 300,000 surgeries delayed. Uh, We've been subjected to a mental health pandemic. And, um, of course, um, we we saw in the Star, for instance, yesterday that um, small business bankruptcy in Canada is drastically rising. So uh, my view is that we had to take a more holistic view on health and appreciate that public health's response, in fact, uh, was significantly worse to our health than originally thought. All right, uh, Roman, if you could stay with us for another segment, we'll take a quick time out, come back, and uh, we'll talk some more. Roman Babber is a candidate for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Back to more of our conversation right after these. Just having a little chinwag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Roman Babber is with us, Conservative Leadership Candidate. And uh, Roman, a lot of, uh, uh, well, Pierre Polyev and Leslin Lewis are talking about, you know, freedom. Pierre Polyev in particular, trying to make Canada the freest country on, on earth. You have a rather unique perspective, having been born and, and spending the first eight or nine years of your life in the Soviet Union, a communist country. Talk to my listeners about how that experience, growing up in a communist country, um, sort of shapes your, your views of where we're at in Canada right now in terms of our freedoms and where you would like to take this country. Sure. So um, I was born in the former Soviet Union. We didn't leave there until I was nine. And I remember very clearly some examples of of um, fear, prevailing fear that my family experienced uh, due to lack of freedoms in the Soviet Union. For instance, I was taught as a child not to use the word America in school because that may arouse suspicion and, and have the principal invite the KGB um, to, to determine who is this parent that's teaching uh, a kid about America. Where I remember my grandpa had a, a Jewish prayer book, a Sidur, and I understood that if, if someone was to find out that, that we have such a book in our possession, then grandpa may go to a labor camp. So I have a very unique perspective on how precious and tenuous Canada's democracy is. And we're seeing an unprecedented erosion of Canada's democracy, be it uh, the the prevailing censorship. There's censorship legislation making its way through Parliament. Um, or Close to 20% of Canadians are still treated like second-class citizens and are unable to board public transportation. Uh, we see an unlawful declaration of the Emergencies Act that doesn't meet the, the standard articulated in the legislation and um, seizure of bank accounts without a court order, something that would be unprecedented in Canada. And, and this is something that I'm very much determined to override and, and to, re- to end. All right. I want to get your comments on um, uh, Patrick Brown another candidate for the conservative leadership uh, going after Pierre Polyev and making this strange, trying to make this very strange connection between Pierre Polyev's support for the, uh, the freedom convoy, linking that to this character, Pat King and white replacement theory, and then linking all of that to this horrible shooting tragedy in, in Buffalo. Uh, I mean, you're also, you've been, uh, you know, a vocal supporter of the the aspirations of the Freedom Convoy. He, he could have very well have gone after you. Talk to me about the, the sort of the tone of this 
of this leadership campaign, where it's going and how perhaps damaging Patrick Brown's comments might be. I'm not sure I understand Patrick's comments, and uh, I'll let him uh, explain it for himself. I certainly uh, regret very much the events in Buffalo, and my heart goes out to the families. But it's no secret that I'm a big supporter of the Freedom Convoy. Um, I believe that everything that the Prime Minister said about the Freedom Convoy was false. There were no weapons anywhere near the site. The um, weapon, there were no uh, weapons near the site. The arson was not connected. There was no foreign funding, very little foreign donations, and there was no foreign collusion, uh, unlike the prime minister or some of his cabinet ministers seem to have alleged. Um, at the same time, we saw that as the government was breaking the rule of law on February the 18th, uh, the protesters remained peaceful. Uh, there was no aggression towards the police. And, and so on that day, we saw this was a truly peaceful movement. All right. I just uh, a couple of quick items, maybe just get a, a kind of a rapid fire response from you. First of all, uh, CBC, would you defund or just reform? I would defund. There is no uh, freedom of speech uh, and without free and independent media. And free and independent media is a cornerstone of Canada's democracy and of any democracy. But how can you have democracy when the government signs the media's paycheck? I would not just defund the CBC. I would end all bailouts. I would end all subsidies to the media. And I would also look at the way and limit the way that government can advertise on the news media as this is something that we've seen to be very prevalent in the last couple of years. We must end all interdependence by media on government. Uh, in the next few days, uh, Pierre Trude- or Justin Trudeau, <laughs> Justin Trudeau is expected to uh, to travel to Geneva and sign on to this uh, the World Health Organization pandemic treaty. Are you concerned about that? Should we be concerned about it? What would you do if you were prime minister? Uh, I'm not sure that they're entering into the treaty this Thursday. Um, I think it's a consultation process that they're entering into. Nonetheless, I'm very concerned by the proposed pandemic response that the WHO had on the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and, and certainly it did not follow any of our pandemic response planning uh, that in retrospect probably would have served us better than inflicting the harm we have on Canadians in the last couple of years. Um, I would... Uh, what I would propose we do uh, if we're faced again with a pandemic is entertain opinion because there was a variety of doctors, a good amount of doctors that opposed the prevailing narrative. They were silenced. Uh, generally, the profession was was bullied and, and threatened into silence. And, and that, in my view, prevented a proper evaluation of, of the best way to respond. And that in turn resulted in a disastrous public policy. Uh, how would you deal with inflation as prime minister? What can be done at the at the federal government level? So first of all, we have to be frank about inflation. And it's not just the printing of half a trillion dollars um, in the last two years, but also lockdown, something that none of my opponents um, are willing to discuss. We have... Uh, stopped the global supply chain at its tracks a couple of times and then restarted demand very quickly. So basically demand is not catching up to supplies. We're missing parts, we're missing precious metals, we're missing elements everywhere. And so the best thing we can do is provide the market with some certainty. Of course, we have to stop printing and leave within our means. I will limit uh, government spending to uh, increases in spending to the rate of inflation. And finally, um, I think what we probably need to do is figure out a way to make life more more affordable for Canadians. And I will do that by repealing the carbon tax, 
And I will do so by having uh, an income tax cut across the board that I will pay by ending equalization payments between the provinces. Uh, Would you commit to making Canada energy independent? Would you use the powers within the Constitution to complete uh, pipeline projects? I don't think you can use constitutional powers for that, but I'm determined to turn Canada into a natural resources superpower. I think that Canada's natural resources are a blessing, and I'm not going to let oil and gas be cancelled. It's good for our strategic interest, our economic bottom line, and it's also good for the planet because Canadians can derive energy cleaner and safer than any other nation in the world. Um, And so, yes, I will repeal the anti-pipeline bill. Uh, we can uh, strike the right balance between respecting stakeholders and the environment, but at the same time ensuring that Canada is not just energy independent, but in my view should become uh, the natural energy superpower, sorry, natural resources superpower that we ought to be. Uh, I'm just going to give you the, the last minute to uh, to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about, something that maybe I haven't asked you that you think is important. Go ahead. Look, um, I I appreciate that um, there are a number of candidates that share my views on in this leadership. I I guess what I bring to the front is that over the last two years, I've shown courage and leadership to stand up for Canadians when it was unpopular. I was essentially the only mainstream politician that opposed Doug that opposed uh, any government on, on the issue of lockdowns. I fought for Canadians against mandates and passports before it became popular, before the truckers came to town, brought legislation to protect workers against mandates. I sued the Attorney General for our ability to congregate, pray, and and protest outside. I brought the legislation to cut uh, MPP pay to CERB levels until the emergency um, orders are gone. Um, And even if folks may disagree with me sometimes, they will always know where I stand. And at a time when trust in government and and politics generally is eroded, um, I hope that uh, I can bring a sense of reliability and trust to Canadians that they desire right now. Roman, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Roman Babber, conservative leadership candidate. All right, when we come back, Drew Allen from The Drew Allen Show. Half of Joe Biden's Twitter followers are bots. That story's next. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Reading this in the New York Post today, nearly half of President Biden's 22.2 million Twitter followers are bogus, fake, And uh, the audit was done for Twitter by a software firm called SparkToro. Again, they found 49.3% of Joe Biden's followers are fake followers. And uh, SparkToro has defined fake followers as, quote, accounts that are unreachable and will not see the account's tweets, either because they're spam bots, either spam bots, propaganda, etc., or because they're no longer active on Twitter. Here with uh, more is Drew Allen, author, columnist, and host of The Drew Allen Show. Hey, Drew, welcome back. How are you? Hey, good to be with you. The, the, the question that was, I was listening to you lead in there, it's pretty astounding, right, uh, that over 40% of his Twitter followers are spam bots, not real people, potentially. The question, of course, is how many of his voters were real, right? There you go. Yes. 81 million, supposedly, uh, for the man who couldn't draw, you know, more than a handful at a uh, at an outdoor rally during the campaign. 
um, I guess it's kind of it works both ways because, you know, half of his followers are are fake. But I mean, I, I'm pretty confident he doesn't he doesn't write those tweets anyway. So uh, the president is fake and the followers are fake. Yeah, so much so much smoke and mirrors, so much that's fake uh, these days, of course, with the Biden administration. What, what my kind of key takeaway when I saw that story, though, about all the spam bots and the fake followers on Twitter was kind of uh, it points out this subversive technique. I've kind of talked about that the Democrats and also totalitarians like Trudeau and others engage in, which is um, to to pretend as if they're. Their policies are popular to try and, you know, make themselves uh, seem more uh, abundant than they are in order to kind of, you know, keep those of us who would, you know, voice our dissent quiet. You know, I mean, what's the point of speaking out if you're just convinced that, you know, Joe Biden's got, you know, uh, X amount of followers and, you know, all these people. I mean, they, they, they overwhelm you. Right. But it's not real. Right. Right. Have you seen uh, 2000 Mules yet, Drew? You know, I was asked at another radio show the other day. I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm re- I really want to see it. Um, I saw that Dinesh just uh, dropped the price a little bit too. Um, but no, have you? Uh, no, I mean I've seen I've seen trailers for it. I've seen excerpts, and I've talked to some some people on the program who've seen it, and um, they seem to think it's like the smoking gun. Um, how do you, how do you think that movie uh, will influence? the midterm elections. If enough people see it, do you think it'll, it'll maybe even convince a few Democrats that their president is a, is a fraud? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, look, I, I, I am a, a vocal um, a person in terms of, of the fraud that took place. Uh, I don't believe that, you know, that they, they had a chance in H-E double hockey sticks of winning had they not uh, committed massive fraud. So I'm on the side. I preface with that because I say, I, I, I think people should see the movie, but it, it just confirms what most people already know. Um, the, the, the most radical Democrats are still going to deny it. So I don't think it's going to influence things much. I, I wish it would, to be honest, but it just doesn't seem to have the impact on our side. I mean, I guess I would say this. If, if the Republicans had cheated and committed fraud that was shown in a, in a Democrat uh, kind of funded, you know, if you will, documentary, about Republicans stealing the election, I mean, there would be riots in the streets right now. And um, that's not happening, even though this documentary is out there showing the fraud. It, it's unignorable. Uh, how much responsibility do you think Joe Biden has for uh, the uh, the baby formula uh, shortage? Well, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I mean, I think he probably bears uh, uh, some responsibility, certainly, because uh, some of the stories I've come across, of course, have to do with um, – uh, violations in which I believe the federal government was involved in shutting down some of these plants. And so, uh, you know, if you're going to do that, you're going to know that there's going to be a shortage of baby formula. And of course, nothing was done to fix that going down the road. Um, I, so, yeah, I mean, I think this, the, the government does bear responsibility from, from that end. And they're, of course, making no efforts. You know, I mean, when it came to COVID, uh, whether you like it or not, you know, Trump unleashed uh, Operation Warp Speed to ensure that vaccines were available in, in a record amount of time, we should have something similar to deal with this baby shortage crisis, because I understand you and I talking aren't on baby formula anymore, but there are uh, tens of millions of people, mothers out there that absolutely depend on it. Their, their children need it for survival. It is a matter of life and death, and it's very, very serious. And it's interesting to see a matter of life and death like this for children uh, that the Democrats don't care about. But when it came to COVID, 
you know, that was their matter of life and death. And uh, they wouldn't stop talking about it. Drew Allen, host of the Drew Allen Show, drewallen.substack.com, drewallen.substack.com. Always appreciate your time. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Richard. Talk soon. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon, and I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. Now, don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.